The ability to speak might not make you intelligent, but we're going to try to prove otherwise. This is the Clashing Sabres podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brandon Boylan, and with me is the man who's happier than a rancor with a toothache, Drew Brett. <laughs> hey guys, how's it going? So we are uh, really excited about recording today. I don't know about you, Drew, but I literally look forward to this all week. And it's not like I have bad weeks. Aww. It's just like... Bless your tiny little heart. It's not you. It's not you. It's me. Wow. Oh. Okay. We're starting off cold already. Fair enough. Fair enough. I am feisty let me, today. Let me put these gloves down for a minute. Hang on. Okay. Ready to go. Put your brass knuckles on. Just be fully prepared. <laughs> there you go. But no, like, I mean, I don't know. Just the the whole podcasting thing is, is a lot of fun, and I've just fallen in love with it uh, so We have quickly. a ball. It's great it, times. It is good. And so hopefully you guys who are listening have as much fun uh, listening to us as we have talking, because we're going to keep talking, so hopefully you'll keep listening. Uh, this episode, <laughs> we have a good bit to cover. This is going to be... Uh, Probably the only episode Drew and I are going to be able to do this month, but no worries because we have a ton of content, both written and podcast form coming out for you. If you have not checked it out already, go check out Forever Star Wars, Mark's new series. Yes. It is, I mean, please. I literally, oh, I, dude, I have goosebumps just like talking about it and I had, <laughs> save for like, we had one initial conversation, like when when we all started our podcast, like trying to figure out what he wanted to do and spitballing ideas about what would be good. And we came up with this and I was like, all right, cool, man. Like, I trust you. Do your thing. You know, tell me whatever you need me to do. And other than like, I checked in on him a couple times just to make sure like, hey, you know, do you need anything from me? It was all Mark. So all the credit to him. I literally just That's like awesome. dragged and dropped it into our SoundCloud and iTunes uh, and all those other podcast things. So yeah, it's fantastic. It's yes. absolutely fantastic. It's a great listen. I've listened to the first one already. I'm going to do the second and third one on my way into work tomorrow, hopefully. Um, do you know if he's got anything planned for the future? Like, are we getting, getting any more any entries like this? Uh, we're definitely going to get some more. We're not going to do, at least for the foreseeable future, another three-parter. Uh, we kind of okay. wanted to do a three-parter. Uh, I shouldn't say we, because like I said, I had nothing to do with it. <laughs> Mark wanted to do a three-parter because it just felt natural to do the original trilogy and his experiences like that. Um, and also, we're kind of, uh, I don't know if you've listened to uh, How the Force Works on the Full of Sith Network that Bobby Roberts did, but we kind of, uh, his idea was a, a model for us, not necessarily uh, stealing, oh, um, cool. but that kind of format and things. And he released it in a three-part, so we wanted to give that a try. So... Um, Bobby Roberts, if by any chance you're listening to our little podcast, uh, thank you for producing that show because it's fantastic. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he's well done. Good on you, sir. And he, and he touches on it in the third episode. Um, some of the things that he has planned coming in the future. So there'll definitely be more coming out, but they'll probably just be, uh, one at a time from now on. Um, but yeah, That's more cool. of that coming out. Lindsay and I have more, uh, episodes of don't burn the sacred text coming out uh ash has more starships coming out we have articles coming out like crazy i've got one on ahsoka that is going to come out after the rebels finale in case it changes anything shocker i wanted Ooh, to talk about ahsoka so yeah um it, it's been a it's been a crazy couple weeks right now for me it's testing season for my kids plus all the star wars stuff going on 
I am uh, I'm a happy kind of exhausted right now. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. But, uh, Drew, what have you been uh, Star Warsing lately? What's been going on in your world? Um, I Let's see. Well, a tangentially related thing. I finished a, a book, and I'm trying to see if I can find the title of it really quick, but it's one of the Carrie Fisher books, the drinking wishful wishful drinking something like that yes yeah yeah yeah. you know i had never read anything or heard any of her acts or anything like that the only thing i'm really familiar with that she has done in the past 10 15 years was the one introduction she gave to george lucas during i think it was he got a lifetime achievement award from the afi or something like that and she gave a 10 minute introduction speech which was a lot of fun so I thought I'd get this book. It was kind of short. Got the audio version, so it only took like two hours to burn through. It was pretty easy. Um, you're pretty familiar with her work, aren't you? Uh, I actually haven't read any of the books yet. Really? Um, yeah. I So most people have heard like my Star Wars story and stuff. I kind of – I wasn't not a fan anymore, but I kind of got away from Star Wars for a, a good few years yeah. um, when she was coming out with those things. So I really just wasn't in the know about that. But they're definitely on the docket of things to to read. Every time I say, I'm going to go get them, then, you know, we like start a new podcast or something, yeah, a new book. 18 other things that come up, right? Yeah, exactly. This probably won't add anything to the experience. Um, I don't think it's going to convert anybody to be a fan of hers off screen that isn't already. I don't think it's going to you know, convince anybody otherwise. You, basically, your opinions of her are going to stay the same based as what they are without having read, read this novel. It might add a little bit more color and detail to understanding her life, which is kind of what I got out of it. But there's a large swath of the book that is all kind of like, I'm a broken and terrible human being, and it's not that bad, and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, well, uh, okay, if, if you're sure about that. And I don't know. It just it felt very odd to me. Like There was a lot of uh, – I got heavily involved in drugs and alcohol when I – I was 13 years old. I'm like, oh, gee, that should really be more of a cautionary tale then, shouldn't it? But I don't know. I don't, maybe it was just the style that it was written in, you know, strictly from her perspective, and certainly would have been more better delivered live. So I imagine her live show of the same title in the same series was probably infinitely more entertaining. I actually have seen that, and it is a really? lot of fun. Yeah, it See, is and that's what fun. I think. I think get, being there live and able to feed off the energy back and forth from presenter to audience and back the other direction would probably make a pretty big difference here because that would help you buy into kind of the stories she's trying to tell. Um, when it's just me and her in my car or walking the dog or something like that, it kind of was a little bit awkward from time to time. Um that's kind of one of the weird things about audiobooks. It becomes pretty personal pretty quickly, and if it's uncomfortable, it's not a great experience. Like listening to Game of Thrones got really uncomfortable really quick. Um, and this was kind of one of those things. I don't know if it's required reading for anybody, but it wasn't bad. Um, I did put down finally the the other one that I was working on last time we talked, um, the short story book. The oh geez, He's forgetting the name. That's it. I have a bone to pick with you. Oh, because well, I mean, you didn't... pick as many bones as you want about a certain point of view. I'm not going <laughs> to fight you on that. You, I don't think people have been properly sold what this book is. Um, this book is not just a collection of short stories. Because if that's what you think this is, I think you're missing the larger point of what the, the book is actually trying to do. The book is retelling all of A New Hope in order. But it's not using any of the main characters. It's using all the ancillary characters and things around them that happen before you get to a particular scene, what happens after you leave a particular scene, and the lives of the characters in which the main characters in the film actually interact. 
And so when I recognized that, it changed the way I was reading the book. Because I read the book, I was like, oh, I kind of want to read this story. Then I kind of want to read this one. I kind of and jump back and forth um, to different entries and whatnot just to see what the different authors contributed. And you were right that when you do that, it's terrible. <laughs> it's not very good because the stories don't make any sense and they don't really seem to add anything to the narrative. But when you take them together in a chronological sweep, it makes a big difference and it changes the way that you kind of see some of these characters. And there are two that I want to call out in particular, and hopefully you guys are going to get to this book on your, the, your, your book podcast, the Sacred Text ones. And hopefully Lindsay's going to be on my side so that she can argue with this further. Um, so Lindsay, if you're listening, this is your chance. I think that the best story in there is the Qui-Gon Jinn Obi-Wan Kenobi story. Oh, you're not going to get any argument from me. That is... That is the only one I actually like. think was needed. It is that one story. so good. So and good. the reason it's good is because you can take what you know about these characters and add that to the story. Like, you know, you kind of imagine Alec Guinness reciting the lines that are attributed to Obi-Wan in this particular story, and it works. It makes sense. You can hear the voice of Qui-Gon Jinn, and you imagine that it's Liam Neeson, and it works. So the author there has appropriately channeled what we know – and added to it, as opposed to the very next one, which was probably the worst one, is the one for Baru Lars. Now, giving Baru her own story is a great idea, but like you had mentioned, it's from her perspective after she's already died, and that's not necessarily so crazy. What's so crazy is that the character is expected to know things that clearly she would have no idea about. She makes mention about how Luke's father turned to the dark side. That's not a thing that's known in the Star Wars galaxy, nor do I have any reason to believe that after Baru dies in a fire, she would be given that kind of knowledge in any kind of afterlife. So there was no way I could properly associate the story with what I understood about the character. Now, I can understand a person bringing inappropriate expectations to material. Um, I can think of two other examples where that seems to be happening pretty often. Um, that would be the Last Jedi and the Black Panther movie. Seem to, the problems people have with Black Panther is kind of the same ones they have with the Last Jedi. Is the characters certainly just wouldn't do things that they do, but you only know that if you're been a fan of the comic book for 20 years or whatever. But the Baru book just stands out like there's no way a person who has lived her entire life on on moisture farms and Tatooine has never ostensibly met a Jedi. She doesn't really know what they are wouldn't even have a concept of what the dark side is never mind how someone falls to the dark side so i really that one stood out like a sore thumb however you picked a bone last time with the mouse droid uh entry um and you're just plain wrong because that no! is oh, a great so, <laughs> so stupid it is a great entry it is fun it is contextually accurate. Like it makes sense what's going on. You understand exactly the things that are, this little mouse droid is encountering. Now, the things that this poor little droid has to do and like the life that he lives, the story that actually takes place in the human's perspective is kind of, kind of lousy. Um, it just was very, very odd and not really didn't, that didn't fit with what you'd expect to happen on the Death Star. Although, well, man, I, I guess. Well, Correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't that the one where like the stormtrooper and the the and the imperial bad... officer have yeah. their uh, officer and a gentleman moments? Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. See, I would have liked it if like 
I would have liked it if that story got developed more. I didn't like that story from the perspective of the mouse. Oh, no, come on. That didn't really matter. I think if it was a little bit more believable and made a little bit more sense. I thought it was cute that they were trying to use the same lines that Luke uses when he sees Leia's first hologram projection. The same as the Imperial officer uses those lines when the the mouse droid kicks off the message about his, 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 uh, his owner or director. The Imperial officer uses the same lines. He goes, who's that? He's, he's beautiful. Bring him back. Play back the whole message. You know, that kind of whole sequence. They use the exact same dialogue, which I thought was clever. But I feel like they, they came up with that idea and built a story that seemed a little bit disingenuous rather than letting the story naturally progress the way you know humans might actually do when they're trapped in a giant space station floating through space. But I liked the little mouse droid. He was cute. He was like, I'm going to go do my job, and I'm going to do my thing. And he gets caught in the explosion. He gets kicked around the hallways for a little bit. He, he has dreams and aspirations of being a racing droid. That was great. I thought that was fantastic. Yeah, um, I also taste. really like... Yeah, poor, poor taste. <laughs> wow. Okay. <gasps> um, no, Which one I of wanna... us loves the prequels more, by the way? Which yeah, one? exactly. Good. I have good Somebody whose taste. name rhymes with Landon? No. Ugh, humans. No. Um, it was fun. But... It was great. I love seeing the, like, the little reboot sequences every so often where he has to do a self-diagnostic, and at the point where he's been half blown up and it's malfunctioning, it's all jumbles of letters and symbols and things. I was like, this is great! The thing about the book, and I do want to save most of it for Don't Burn the Sacred Text, but the stories that I liked, I really liked. Like the Qui-Gon story, I am in love with. But the ones that I didn't like, I really don't like. So, um, yeah. I did not get to the Dianaga one. I was was trying to get in there before I had to return the book. Um, I'm going to try and get it again because I know that's probably the most divisive one. Um, or actually, the one people hate the most. So I automatically want to like it more than everybody else. <laughs> yeah, you won't. Uh, beyond that, <laughs> there's. I, I'm sorry. Okay, like I can see your perspective on the mouse droid and accept that we have different points of view on that one. There's nothing redeemable about the Dianoga one. Okay, I like so. the stuff about Tarkin and the rest of the guys in the, uh, the cool. Death Star Roundtable. I thought those were really all really good and well put together. Um, stories. I thought they all fit the characters, especially what we knew about the characters. So that was kind of neat. I think there was a section that was the the dialogue was misattributed. I think that in, in the part of the movie where one of the characters says, "We've analyzed their attack pattern, and there is a danger, sir." And Tarkin responds with the uh, "Evacuate in our moment of triumph." And I think they they give th- those lines credit to Tag. When it, I think in the movie it's Chief Bast. I don't remember. I haven't watched A New Hope in all, quite some time with that level of specificity. But I think that they gave the lines to different characters. But it's also been a long time since I've had to memorize exactly who was around that big round table in the Death Star conference room. So I might be have it screwed up in my mind too. I'm not yeah, sure. I honestly don't remember. I wanted to touch on something you said about the Baru story, though. I was always under the impression at the end of Revenge of the Sith that when Obi-Wan dropped Luke off, they at least had some kind of conversation about his father because Owen is very standoffish. He seems to know there's more uh, to to Anakin's story when Luke is talking about it. Uh, You know, oh, your father was a a pilot on a freighter and, and then... 
Obi-Wan, at, the, at the, 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 the dinner, you know what I'm trying to say, words, okay, words, people, I'm saying <laughs> the words about Owen, but when he's talking about, nice. when he's talking about his father, when he's talking about Anakin, and trying to get Luke to just let it go, it seems like he knows more, and so I always thought, and of course, there's no dialogue there, but I was always under the impression that Obi-Wan explained, maybe not in full what happened, but at least some version of the truth where Hmm. where Owen because I feel like Owen and Baru would have to be aware of the fact that there's this dark potential inside of Luke I always thought that they were not necessarily holding him back but that Owen was so cautious to let him go because you know what happens if he becomes the next Vader and and Baru even says that he's got too much of his father in him, and he says that's what scares me. So I don't know. Well, I don't know. I think there's there's two or three things that that immediately separate out, and and I might have to just say them out loud before I dive into each of them. One, the the identity of Vader is not a public is not public information at that time period. Two, Owen and Baru only appearing in new in a New Hope. With actual real dialogue, we we'll say there that was their first appearance, and ostensibly their only appearance out of the classic trilogy, puts their character development at a certain time period where only certain things were determined. Um, meaning, it wasn't until they wrote Empire that it was going to be decided that Vader was Luke's father, and it wasn't only until Return of the Jedi that it was con- it was known that Luke and Leia were sisters. So at the time of A New Hope, Owen and Baru only understood there to be one child, and they did not know who he was. So he doesn't have. There's no clear connection. Again, according to the characters in A New Hope, they don't know that he's the son of Darth Vader because nobody knows he's the son of Darth Vader. I think what you see there is Owen doesn't want to lose Luke to the same kind of reckless and foolishness foolishness that might have killed Anakin. You know, for all that they knew, Anakin was a, a a freighter pilot who just got himself killed during the context of the, probably within the Clone Wars. Because they knew him, they knew Anakin beforehand, um, but I don't well, think they, that they, they yeah, had they any... met him in episode two, so but that's all of really that, their only context, yeah. And, and all of that only occurred like 25 years, or was only written and decided upon 25 years after A New Hope was actually completed. So at the time that we have those two characters on screen and that particular scene happens, the only thing that they know is that Luke and Leia is not theirs. He was kind of – they adopted him. And they know that his father died. And so what I see in that scene is Owen doesn't want to lose Luke to the Academy because he's afraid he's going to get himself killed in the war. See, I've always and, – and this is me looking at it not as like what, what we knew when Justin New Hope came out. But considering their meeting in episode two, Anakin was a very, um, very standoffish, very – he was just rude. Like he wasn't a very nice person to anybody there, uh, and and so that being the only impression he had, Owen had of Anakin being an, an angry uh, young teenager. Really, I think he he sees part of that in Luke, and it worries him because I think Obi Wan had to at least say something about how Anakin yeah, died. Yeah, because but like you're, you're, they if, know if, Anakin if he... was a Jedi, so well, do they? Yes, they. they how do we know that? Because in 
you really think that Shmi didn't tell anybody that my son left to become a Jedi? You really think that he's walking around in his Jedi robes with a lightsaber just hanging out there? I mean, he's not hiding it like Qui-Gon was. Hmm. I, trust me, I've watched episode two a lot more than you have. <laughs> that don't, much I think we can agree upon. Don't come at me with the episode two now. I don't think, no, well, let, me, let me, hang on, hang on, because this I, is I, important. I it, yeah, no, I think it is. Go, go, go. No, no, I think that he shows up. He finds the fan. He finds Klieg Lars. He and Owen introduces himself in Baru, and then he's gone. He basically just hops on the speeder bike and leaves, doesn't he? Uh, like, we don't see any. We don't get the same kind of dinner sequence that we got in either A New Hope nor in Phantom Menace, where you have the characters sitting down with the locals and having some kind of expository meeting. We don't get do that. Sit, they sit at the table, uh, the same one that we see in A New Hope, when they're discussing what happened to Shmi. He tells and her the story of, like, you know, 15 of us went back. out and two of us came back in. Yeah, exactly. And then... I love they... Klee Lars. He's one of my favorite parts of that film. Oh, he's such a jerk. That's why I uh, like him so much. I, I know. But, and then Luke gets up and I... Anakin. I think, yeah, thank you. Anakin gets up and I could be wrong. It might be Klee, but I'm, like, 90% sure Owen says, where are you going? And Anakin says, says I'm go going to find my mother. Yeah, um, but, but in that whole context, I feel like there could have been a whole lot more, like... I, understanding i don't know maybe he doesn't properly communicate that he has these powers or whatever i suppose maybe they understand something crazy happened when he comes back by himself with the body wrapped in sackcloth but i don't feel like any of that is is explicitly clear that they understand what he did and who he really is i don't know that they see that i think what they see is a moody angry teenager yes which, exactly but I, I don't feel like that's different from any other of the billion moody, angry teenagers, not only in their universe, but in our own. Like, that age bracket from 12 to 21 is characterized in a particular way because a lot of us give evidence to, to portray that way, self-included okay, so and raised. He, here's here's my counter-argument to that. In Rogue One, Chirrut says that the dark side is more present around someone who is about to kill. Which means if Anakin has such a strong presence in the Force, hashtag midichlorians, if he has such a uh -huh. <laughs> strong presence in the Force... Let me get a bucket to throw up in. Hang on a second. Uh, oh. But if he has such a strong presence in the Force, it's not out of the realm of possibility that the dark side was still had some aura around him when he got back to that farm. And they might not have been able to put a finger on it, but there's sometimes you just know, like, this person is not good. Like, there's there's something off about this person. And I, that's what I think the, if they don't know about Vader and the full story, I think they at least had a strong enough impression that like this kid going off and becoming a Jedi was not the best decision for him. <sighs> I think it's, I think there's a lot left to interpretation, but I think they know more than, I think they at least know he was a Jedi and know that at least something was off and, and whether they, whether they think it's the Jedi thing, because you have to remember, I think this gets lost a lot because we follow the Jedi so much. There were 10,000 Jedi, but there are billions and trillions of citizens there. Most citizens in the galaxy never met a Jedi. So, right. Well, that's so, my that's kind of my point, is, is that they how would they separate 
the cloud of the dark side, since number one, they are not force-sensitive individuals based on any of the and any and all of the evidence that we have. And number two, he just lost his mother. I mean, you're talking no human being who's 19 years old, this universe or theirs, is going to seem like this happy-go-lucky kind of guy when he just carted his mother's corpse across the desert. So I think they could understand the fact that he's in a bad headspace at the moment. I mean, even if they had walked in when he and Padme were having their wonderful conversation in the the garage there where he's trying to fix things – um, it, it, even if they had walked in there, they would have understood that he's in this mindset because that this terrible, tragic thing has happened to him. Not necessarily because he's on the path to dark, dark side and, and, and evil. I don't think they would have seen it that way. Because the last thing that they have, the last experience they have with Anakin is when they bury her, he kneels beside her grave and says, you know, I should have been here to save you. I should have, I should have been able to save you, and I'm going to make it right somehow. And then they go off to save Obi-Wan, which, I mean... Let's just remember they just bounced from a funeral straight into the ship to go off and save Obi Wan Kenobi. It's just kind of weird. Like, imagine if you're Owen and Brew. Like, okay, clearly he doesn't care that much anymore. He's gone. Yeah, he doesn't even say like goodbye. Yeah, he doesn't like, even say thanks for letting me crash in your pad for like two days straight and drop my dead mother's body off with you guys. It's yeah. There. So the you one, say there's an. You say there's. You leave it up to interpretation. I say there's not enough information to build a story. <laughs> yeah, I, I think. I think there. I, I don't think there's enough evidence either way to, to like prove or disprove it either way. But that's kind of my headcanon, anyways. Well, is that they have, and that's fine. Like, I, I don't think it's proved one way or the other. I think it's based on the fact that these people don't have information that that this particular entry, in a certain point of view, expects them to and and is based on. It's it's kind of like if you were to equivalent try and build an equivalent in our world today. It would kind of be like, oh, gee, how do I put this? Have you, are you familiar with the book Silence or the movie of the same name from like two years ago, the Martin Scorsese film? No. Okay. It tells the story of two Jesuit Catholic priests from the 16th century or 1600s rather who go to Japan trying to find their, their master priest who has allegedly um, turned away from the faith. And so they're trying to track him down, and there's these conversations about what it means to belong to the Catholic faith and what it means to apostatize, to give it up, to reject it, and there's some very heavy conversations that take place between these two priests where the older person you – know, the older priest has to explain why he made his choices, and the younger priest has to try and – under, number one, understand it, and then two, is faced with the same questions himself. It's like taking that level spiritual concept difficulty that these two guys who are professional people of faith, that level discourse, and now put it in the farmers of the Midwest United States 21st century. It's too different areas of intellect, and I have no reason to believe the farmer has the has – the, uh, I don't want to say capacity, but doesn't have the need for that level of information. Well, or if, that, if you that pull background a th- knowledge. Exactly. If you pulled a thousand farmers in, in the Midwest, Nebraska cornfields, and if anybody's a Nebraska cornfielders listening to this, I'm not knocking you down. I had a pen pal in third grade who was in Nebraska. I had a great time telling him what the ocean looked like. If you pulled those guys and tried to get them to understand the deep spiritual understanding of what it means to spend 60 years in the Catholic face and then reject it and why, I don't think that you're going to find it as a po- as popular as the story in a certain point of view 
attributes to Baru Lars, who again, up to that point in the film, has provided us no evidence that this is a world she's familiar with. She says, Luke's just not a farmer. He's more his father. But again, what we have to build that really means is, is, is basically that Luke wants to be a pilot. He wants to go to the academy, and Owen is afraid of losing Luke for some reason. And that's all the information we get. That's perfect enough for what we the story in A New Hope. We don't need any more information, but to try and build off of that in the direction that they did didn't seem like it was um, enough in, of an argument, a strong enough of an argument to really build a cohesive story where I understood the characters. Now, as opposed to... Again, and I know we're talking for like 20 minutes on something that no one cares about, as opposed to the Qui-Gon Jinn, Obi-Wan Kenobi storyline, which starts out with Qui-Gon in the darkness of the void of the afterlife. And the thoughts coalesce around a name. And, you know, it's not really Qui-Gon until he hears the name called out and it puts together. And it's a really beautiful understanding and telling of that that idea of consciousness outside of the material plane. And it's really neat because it's about, it's a story of two guys who understand that level and can have that connection at a level that makes sense based on all of the shared experiences that we know the two of them have had. And that's one of the reasons I like that part so much is because it builds on that relationship and tells it in such a way that you understand and can accept that these characters have that kind of relationship. Again, Baru Lars talking to us from the dead about Anakin turning to the dark side. Oh, gee whiz, I wish I could have seen that coming, you know? She really sounded like she should have been like from Wisconsin or something. And it just did not And we not love work. all our listeners in Wisconsin, by the way. All three of you guys, you know, here's looking at you, kid. Go Pack Go. <laughs> I don't even know what that means, but okay. <laughs> Green Bay Packers. Oh, God, you're so... Go the sports ball. Go the sports ball. Do well, the thing. Put the thing the in the run. thing. Um, <laughs> no, you're not going to get any argument uh, with me as far as like the quality of the Baru story at all. So, uh, but yeah, I think I think we could be. God, we could. Eat, the two of us could talk about that forever. So I think we could just move on before everybody. <laughs> I think else we just does. Did, yeah. Before everyone else uh, changes the channel. So. But no, one thing I really do like, and, and I don't want to get into this too much because we definitely need to have a uh, conversation on this later, but I really like what they're doing with the Force and how they are really making the Force feel like you could never know the full breadth of it, uh, whether it's the the way they describe it in that story with Qui-Gon mm-hmm. or, I know this isn't going to mean anything to you, but what we saw this past week in A World Between Worlds it, it, there's a lot of, of really cool force stuff going on uh, that I really appreciate. So, by the way, for those of you who are wondering, like, how is Brandon not talking about the past week of Rebels? We're saving it. Um, I He's have doing a, lot a very of good job not jumping out of his skin. <laughs> no, no, that's not true at all. I, uh, I literally jumped off the couch um, and made a lot of noise at three o'clock in the morning when I was watching Rebels this past week. So, but uh, we'll talk about that more when Lindsay and Mark and I all get together and and talk about the finale and everything else that's going on. Uh, other than that, I mean, I don't, there's not really much going on in in fandom or in Star Wars right now. We've talked about um, some of the upcoming solo stuff on Don't Burn the Sacred Text. The only mm-hmm. other like real major thing is we have the release of the Last Jedi coming um the home release uh digital comes out i think may or not may excuse me march 13th and then the blu-ray is march 27th so drew what what format are you getting this in i am hoping to get the blu-ray i am hoping to get the version that has a um 
a, the commentary from Ryan Johnson, who allegedly recorded it before its theatrical release. So it's hopefully going to not necessarily um, spend all of his time addressing the different controversies and issues that the public had, but rather a clear and honest dis- discussion from his point of view from the director's chair and say, I hope he really goes into, here's what I wanted to do with this, and look at this, and here's why this is great and fun and all that jazz. I hope he has the freedom to go into all the things he wants to. Whatever version has that, I want to get that. Um, I don't particularly care about like the Steelbook edition, although I have the Steelbook for uh, The Force Awakens, which is really nice. Um, I don't have the commentary version for the force awakens because it only came on the 3d release which was a real bummer um i don't think 3d is worth the investment right now especially not on the home theater scale but what do you what do you think you're probably going to get the digital version day one aren't you i yeah i'm getting the digital version day one because that is the week of my spring break so oh, sweet do you <laughs> yeah, know if it's, it's really going to cool. have is it going to have all the same special features that the physical release is going to have um Thinking back to The Force Awakens, I know it had the deleted scenes and some of the documentaries. I okay. I don't think I was missing anything except for the commentary on the 3D release, which I never would have gotten anyways. But honestly, we got most of the highlights from that either got released on YouTube or yeah. StarWars.com or other networks. Um, I definitely, if, if The Last Jedi that I get on digital doesn't have the commentary with Ryan Johnson, I will later on buy the Blu-ray just to, to get that, so... Um, I may end up owning a physical copy of it as well. I've kind of gone all digital. Uh, I have, I don't even have a physical copy of The Force Awakens. It's all digital. Oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah, but I just, we don't have a lot of room to store it. And I mean, honestly, first world problems. I have to like unplug my Apple TV to plug in my DVD player. And <laughs> I'm just like, why am I going to do that when I can just click a button? So oh, no, I love collecting the ho- the physical release. I like, I'm trying, the other th- process that I'm, or other thing I'm trying to get done is I'm trying to collect all the best picture winners, the Academy Award best picture winners. So I have a physical copy of all of them. And then once I get the entirety of them, I'd like to do a film by film review of each one, starting from the original one, Wings in 1929, go through all the way to present day. I think that'd be a lot of fun. I now, think I have, cool. I have, for Star Wars movies, I have f- one, two, three, four, five versions of the classic trilogy. I have three different VHS releases. I have the DVDs from 2004, I think, is the first time they were on DVD. Uh, that and, sounds about and, right. And I have the Blu-ray Saga edition that was 2009. I missed out on the Walmart special edition DVDs because they had not only the actual special edition, but they also came with a second disc that had the theatrical release. Actually, I think it was a remaster of the Laserdisc release. Um, I think somebody online can probably clarify that or, or, or mock me for not having it correct. I'd like to own a copy of it on Laserdisc. I know Mark has a copy of it on Laserdisc, and I'm exceedingly jealous of that. Do I have a Laserdisc player? Absolutely not. But I'd still like to have them anyway. I think it'd be fun. I, uh, I definitely think it would be cool. <laughs> No, I was trying to just I was trying to to keep up with all those different releases. I have the uh, the VHS that came out in 96 or 97 uh, right before the special editions came out. That, the ones right before the THX the, yeah. the black black border boxes basically. Yeah, I have uh, I have one of those too. I have a set of those. Those are actually in my classroom because those are what I grew up watching. And so <laughs> I, I like having those. I have I have at least one physical copy. I think only one physical copy of 
uh, all the the movies. I'm not really like. I'm not huge on having like all the different versions. Maybe it's just the the era I grew up in where, you know, I, I started out with VHSs and very shortly after that it was DVDs and very shortly after that it was Blu-rays. Yeah. And it, the, the technology was just so constantly and quickly upgrading. I just never felt the need to, to do that or the desire. So, I mean, it's whatever. I One day I oh. may end up owning the physical copies just to own the physical copies. But right now it just doesn't make sense for me. All right, and I stumped Drew. Drew has nothing to say. <laughs> this is a first, ladies and gentlemen. Um, well, I was I was just gonna I was just gonna say that the you have that version of the 1995, I think it's 95, 95 THX uh, VHS release. My wife found me that copy in a Goodwill. The Empire Strikes Back cassette in there has never been watched. It's still got the tape over it so that it's sealed inside its cassette sleeve, and so 